Go Additive Podcast, episode nine, with your hosts, Tate Brown, and myself, Tyler Reed. How are you doing today? Whew. Feeling energized. Are you? Oh, I'm that I'm, little musical intro that I just made. Yeah. Just <laughs> tons of energy. You might have to carry us over this next uh, hour or so because I'm on the total opposite end of the spectrum today. I'm I'm struggling. You've had a lot of work to do. I know. Tell us about your project. Oh, yeah, we're going to jump into that. I well, you know, I figure we get things started that way. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's jump into it. So Every, every uh, year, around this time of year, I'm tasked with doing some uh, awards for our organization, you know, high performers, things like that. And uh, this year, we are doing some awards printed on the Polyjet technology, uh, the J850, with Vero Ultra Clear material. And what is, what, what is there to say? There's, well, there, wait. Can you explain PolyJet real quick? Like, what's your one-minute explanation on what PolyJet is? The one-minute explanation of PolyJet is that it is a resin jetting additive technology. Think of your inkjet printer at home Mm -hmm. where you have a cyan, a yellow, magenta, and black inks. And those inks are combined by the printer driver to create millions of colors on a 2D space. It's essentially the same thing, except for instead of inks, you have resins that are photopolymers. They're cured with UV light. And instead of a 2D piece of paper, you have a build platform that moves down in a third dimension and you build up three-dimensional shapes that way. So it allows you to create models that... Time's up. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just no, kidding. I'm okay. kidding. No, that's probably the best comparison there is, right? It's yeah, just like sure. an inkjet printer. Um, we just replaced the inks with a liquid yeah. photopolymer. Yeah, and it's one of my favorite tools to use in the lab here because you can recreate things like colors, textures, uh, things like that. Durometers. So, durometers, yep. Softness values. And so if you're doing something like an award with it, which is purely artistic, it can become a lot of fun. And every year, it just, the project comes down to the last day. (laughs) And honestly, I'm done trying to avoid procrastination because it doesn't work. I'm going to use as much time as is available. So it doesn't matter if I start one week ahead or six weeks ahead, it is always gonna go down to the last minute because my personality is, I'm just going to use the time I have to make it better and better and better. Mm -hmm. So without fail, even though I did start earlier this year, it's the last minute. And yesterday I was putting in the grunt work of sanding the models to give it that crystal clear look that you would see in kind of marketing materials for that, for that uh, material, the ultra clear. It requires some post-processing and my hands and my shoulders are hurting today. (laughs) My brain is hurting. Well, so what are you post-processing? Because it's a machine that has pretty high resolution. Yeah. So explain, you kind of, you mentioned you're using Vero Ultra Clear. Maybe everybody's not familiar with that. That's like your glass simulation, right? Or your... Acrylic. 
Yeah. Simulation, yeah. And it is, it's not a resolution issue. So these awards, they were meant to mimic sort of the, the Key West area. <laughs> and think about, like, they're like mini aquariums, more or less. So think about an aquarium. It has a glass box, and it's filled with water, and then it has fish, it has boats, you know, it has bones, whatever, inside of it. Just instead of water, it's just this Vero Ultra Clear material, and you have to polish the outer edges, that glass box, mm -hmm. in order to see into the aquarium. Right. Because Once you're in there, you have little seaweed that is less than a millimeter thick. It's awesome. It's high resolution. But in order to really see into it, you have to smooth that outer surface. Because if you want to get scientific about it, the physics of the light is that when it hits a surface, it's either going to continue and refract and move through it, or it's going to scatter and potentially bounce back. And the smoother the surface, the more transmission you're going to get through the material. So you mm -hmm. can see into it like a glass of water. But if you take a glass of water and you spin it and it has like minerals or something in it, it starts to scatter the light and becomes cloudy. So you just got to give the light a nice smooth path, uh, path to move through the material. And that's what you've worked your hands raw doing. Yeah, pretty much. Like literally. I do have raw. to point out one thing. What's as that? cool as this is, this aquarium, yeah. you say, he modeled in an island, a beach of sand. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason I keep laughing is because Tyler is, he rarely overlooks anything, but the beach is floating in yeah. this model. Yeah, it's floating. It has water underneath. <laughs> There's water underneath the beach. Yeah, there is. <laughs> if you could see the annoyance on his face right now, I think he hates me for bringing this well, up. Well, the beach also reaches to the end of the disc. But beaches. So you, you don't know what's beyond the end of the print. It could be connecting, and you're just looking at a little peninsula. An overhang? It's an overhang. Of yeah. sandstone, I guess, is the only <laughs> way it could possibly be like yeah, that. Yeah, it is like a floating island. I get it. <laughs> it's like the cover of Mist, you know? Yeah, it, it, it is really cool, though. Um, aside all done from in the SolidWorks, fact, by the way. Yeah. All done in SolidWorks. Wait, 100%? 100%. You did try to use I Keyshot. created an amazing scene in Keyshot. Beautiful sand, waves on the top of the water. Oh, it was gorgeous. It did look cool. It did look amazing. Um, but as of right now, the 3MF export out of Keyshot mm -hmm. doesn't support bump maps, and it doesn't support textures, color textures. So the sand, when you imp when you export a 3MF, it was just an ugly brown. There was no sand, like the look of sand, and there was no waviness in the sand. In the renders, it looks amazing. So Keyshot, I talked to I talked to uh, the Stratasys people and, and Keyshot, and they're working on it. It sounds like it's going to become more complete in Q2 this year. The 3MF export was just new in, in version 10 of Keyshot. So it's, yeah. it's all brand new. Well, um, I do want to get a couple things knocked out before we get into our topic of the day. One, I got a little bit of news. Okay, let's hear it. This is only new. Well, this is only news pertinent to us. Okay. Um, just you and I, that's it? No, just us <laughs> and listeners of the podcast. Okay. All of us together, we're all a team, uh, except geographically. We're not teams, we're competing. Oh, are you looking at the stats right now? I'm not looking at them right now, <laughs> but I did just before we got on here. Okay. And Canada jumped into the lead. Oh, boy. Over Australia. 
So we've got a few more listeners in Canada. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening uh, around the world. Um, the U.S. is our main base of of people so the question multiple is, times over. Are we picking up Canadians or, or are we losing Australians? We're picking up Canadians. All right. We're on a growth trajectory. Um, also, we had a listener reach out, sent us an email. Uh, shout out to Brent. Uh, he is a computer science major, has his bachelor in computer science, uh, told us a little bit about himself. And I was pumped, honestly, you were. to hear, to you, hear about you were. him. I messaged you like right away <laughs> uh, and told you a little bit about what happened. And it sounds to me like Brent's just like one of us. He's, he's, like, got, a, he's like a mix of both of us. Yeah. It's, he's got some Arduino, Raspberry Pi, home automation, um, things that he's working on at home. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's just a DIYer, yeah. like a, a maker, I guess is the word that everybody uses nowadays. So really cool to get some feedback from, from him and get a feel for our listener base. Uh, so those are really my, my pieces of news. Uh, one more game stonks, <laughs> <laughs> game stonks. Oh, wow. Yeah. The topic of conversation in Every uh, corner of the world today. Insane. <laughs> everybody my, knows about it. Everybody knows about it. Even my wife was texting me about it. It's crazy. Um, I don't know anything about stonks well, in general. We've already talked about this. If you go back two or three weeks, I don't remember when we talked about this, but it's sort of in line with what we were saying, and that is like the valuation <laughs> of some of the stocks out there are not representative of the actual value of the companies. Right. In my opinion. No, 100%. I saw a meme today that was talking about, it was GameStock evaluating their situation. And I like the, that you just called them GameStonk. Did I? Yeah, without even realizing. GameStop, sorry. <laughs> uh, and it, it was just a meme, of course. It was an actual GameStop, but they, yeah. they just had some summary of their IP and yeah. this stuff that they're about to release, these games and... And basically, they're holding out, trying to give legitimate legitimacy to their stonks. Yeah. But anyway, that's all there is for, for news. All right. Let's talk about the topic of the day. I have one more thing I want to talk about. Oh, all right. So <laughs> he raised you, his hand, just <laughs> so you guys know. You've been working on a project, too, and that mm-hmm. is a legitimate intro to this podcast, because we've come to learn or realize, rather, that our intros are... They're so bad. They are really bad. They're so rookie. And we know. We know they're bad. You don't have to tell us. They're bad. They're very rookie. Surprisingly, no one has reached out yet, but I'm glad. Don't feel the need. The whole world's thinking it, though. So you've been trying (laughs) to learn a new software, and you're showing me some videos, and it made me realize how often myself, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners jump to YouTube right now for an initial training of mm-hmm. sorts for almost everything that we take on, especially software, but for sure, almost everything. It doesn't matter how technical it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this, this stuff is kind of, it's a studio music software. Um, I've used GarageBand in the past. This is Serato Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a quick Google search of best, like top... <laughs> top music makers or studios and 
this was one that I kind of quickly settled on, made a decision, um, kind of went to YouTube to make sure it was legitimate yeah. and I wasn't going to download some sort of crazy bug on my computer. Um, You're such an old man. I know. <laughs> I know. So I've been messing with it. I've been working on some intro music. I can't promise that it's going to be much better than our, our vocals that we do at the beginning of these episodes, but <laughs> calling them vocals, I think is, <laughs> what are you talking about? That was perfect. The intro. Mm. Bup, 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 bup. <laughs> do you personally pay for any training? Um, no, we, I, I do. I, I would mm-hmm. I, like, I see those masterclass commercials every now and again. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's incredible. Like I'd love to. So I have a, I have a subscription to masterclass. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. And actually, I like it a lot. Um, it's really helped under my understanding of various topics, storytelling being one of them. My wife has really gotten into them. I Skillshare is another one I pay for. Okay. Skillshare is more technical, at yes. least for the classes that I use. See, and I would pay for training um, if everything I did wasn't kind of entry level. Yeah. Like even this Serato Studio, it's built for people to be like first-time users. It's supposed to be really intuitive. Sadly, it's not for me. Uh-huh. Um, but most of the stuff that I understand on a deeper level, I've somehow managed to skip the step of, of yeah. like legitimate training. But things like Serato or or a first-time like GrabCAD print, for example, like one of our slicers – it's so easy to pick up. Yeah. It's like you wouldn't really have to have somebody teach you unless you're trying to get an advanced level look at it. My thinking is, am I going to use this tool extensively? And how, like, I try to assess how, what the possibility is that I could go down the wrong path. Yeah. So for many things, I just go to YouTube and I try to piecemeal things together. I've mm-hmm. done that with Audition, for example and some other Adobe products. But for something like After Effects, I've specifically searched out like Skillshare courses on After Effects because it's so different than what I'm used to and it's pretty overwhelming. And it's it's a waste of my time to try to find 20 different videos and then piece them together myself. I'd right. much rather have just the convenience of a course that leads me down a logical path. Absolutely. It makes business sense. Yeah, for sure. For me, I know if I'm going to spend more money ruining things or um, wasting time, for sure, then it becomes a legitimate, you have a legitimate cause to get some organized training. It took me a while to get to this point. I didn't, I didn't really start paying for anything like this until maybe like two years ago. I'm I'm notoriously cheap (laughs) and I'm notoriously arrogant. So I thought I could... (laughs) learn on my own, but I've definitely come to realize that some things I just need to streamline. Yeah. Well, I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes. As we get older, we just tend to think of our time as worth something. Yeah. Even if it's your time sitting around on a Saturday and watching YouTube videos, that's your time. Like that's your time to feel peaceful (laughs) and do what you want to do versus uh, waste a bunch of it trying to figure something out or you know, eventually you're going to take your car to someone to change the oil. I currently am one of those people that still change my own oil because I think it's still technically cheaper for me to change it myself than, yeah. than it is to pay someone to I do it. I went and bought a vehicle that didn't have oil. 
Oh, that's true. That's a cool vehicle. Oh, it's the best. But my truck, I still change the oil. All right. So the topic of the day, this by, I think this was your idea, right? It was my idea. Yeah. Do you want to introduce it then? <sighs> yeah. So we're going to talk about carbon fiber and um, specifically carbon fiber added polymers. The carbon or, fiber episode. Yeah, that's probably, right. probably number one, because I'm sure this will come up again. Yeah, so this was on our list of things to talk about already. Um, and I just happened to be listening to a podcast not too long ago, just trying to get a feel for what the other people are out there doing. And it gives us a couple ideas what to stay away from and what to go towards, uh, what they do successfully. Uh, this particular podcast, they kind of badmouthed carbon fiber added materials. And they talked about um, a polymer with carbon fiber as if it was a standalone carbon fiber. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the differences between the two. It's, okay. it's not the same thing, right? Like you're not printing actual carbon fiber. Um, yes, there is actual carbon fiber within it, Yeah, but it's a percentage of what's actually being printed and that is a polymer base. So broadly speaking, we're just gonna talk about the relationship between carbon fiber and 3D printing as it stands kind of today. Yes, okay. yes. And okay. this person, <clears throat> sorry to get back to it, but they just absolutely bad-mouthed uh, carbon fiber 3D printed materials. Yeah. Just drug it through the mud. Did you did and that offend you? Yeah. You, yeah, you seem offended. Because I, dude, I think it, it's incredibly cool. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember I have a friend who works for Mark Forged. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember when he got the job, um, he's an engineer over there. And they're like, hey, we have this material that's a carbon fiber added material. We want you to see if you can come up with some projects that will really showcase its capability. Okay. Um, and we actually made a fixture for his, uh, he had a Tormach 1100 CNC. Mm -hmm. And we were working on an XX, XS650, so just a little bobber motorcycle. Oh, okay. And we needed to create some engine mounts. Okay. So he modeled up these, um, what he wanted to make aluminum engine mounts for this motorcycle and they were very organically shaped. So traditional fixturing was not going to be an option. So he made a fixture out of this material and it was, it was awesome. Super rigid. We got a really good machine finish on the part. Um, granted we didn't use it in a production style setting, but that was kind of my intro to these materials. And as I've come into this world, I've learned a little bit more about the polymers and I've learned a little bit more about how companies utilize carbon fiber in their polymers. Okay. So. Do you think it's worth taking a moment to kind of compare and contrast traditional carbon fiber versus carbon fiber in the realm of 3D printing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So to clarify, carbon fiber um, is a very rigid, lightweight material. It's woven composites essentially and it's that weave plus a resin base um, that creates when that resin's cured it creates this really rigid structure 
and it's the two components together, right? The carbon fiber cloth mm-hmm. is a textile. It's soft, like exactly. a t-shirt. Yep. And, and it's not you soft a, like a t- <laughs> I'm just kidding. It is. It, eh, hey, if, it if you're buying the clothes I that'd buy. Be pretty, <laughs> that'd be pretty scratchy. I said I'm cheap, okay? <laughs> yeah. And uh, then you, you have- wearing the, gunny sacks for <laughs> t-shirts. Yeah, the resin or an epoxy. Mm-hmm. And that, if it's cured by itself, is usually quite pliable. But you combine the two together. Think of it in, like you take an extra rigid starch and spray the whole can on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yep. Or you wipe up some wood glue with a cloth and it becomes rigid. Totally. The two together give it the strength. And typically on a carbon fiber weave, you have multiple layers that are, all have directions and they are turned either 30 degrees or 45 or 90 degrees from each other. Yep. And the successive layers are what builds up an eventual structure that has extreme rigidity uh, for a given weight and typically good in tensile strength, but quite bad in compression. Yes. So tell us a little bit about how they add carbon, carbon Uh fiber to 3D printed materials. Okay. Well, there's two or three ways now. So that would be a carbon fiber layup tool. So that's uh, not tool, but that's a traditional carbon fiber part. And oftentimes people ask, can you print carbon fiber? And in their mind, they have pictured like a carbon fiber bike frame or something like that. And that's what they're asking. The answer is no, right? If you respect- And nobody can. If you respect- It doesn't exist. Yeah. If you respect what the term 3D printing has come to mean, right? Or additive manufacturing. There are machines that weave carbon fiber, right? If you go buy a carbon fiber tripod, the cylinders, the rods- Mm-hmm. have been woven with a machine. But we wouldn't call that 3D printing because if you did, then the term 3D printing doesn't, it loses its meaning. So with 3D printing, we're talking typically about thermoplastic technologies, uh, primarily uh, filament-based technologies. And you have chopped carbon fibers. So take a string of carbon and chop it up into tiny little pieces that are embedded inside the filament. That's probably the most uh, common way that we're introducing carbon fiber into 3D printed parts. Mark Forged originally came out with a technology to lay down continuous fibers in the path of a filament. It would take the place of the filament in that case. And desktop metal has a similar technology that will lay down a tape of carbon fiber, which is approaching a more traditional carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't used that system. It's called a fiber. I haven't used that system. I haven't personally used the Mark Forged system either. Do they do they still market that? I actually Mark Forged? Yeah. The continuous fiber? Uh-huh. I think so. Yeah, I don't you don't hear as much about it any longer. I don't. I any, think there's probably a reason. Well, I mean, every every technology is going to have um, best use cases. Yeah. Right. And when it comes to something like a chopped carbon fiber that's embedded in nylon or ABS or polycarbonate, it gives you some freedom that the continuous uh, the continuous fiber technologies don't give you. 
but it doesn't give you the same strength benefits either. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, so that's that's what we have the most experience with, right? Is nylon impregnated with a chopped carbon fiber. Yeah. So it is a composite in that sense. And you see composite polymers all the time in injection molding, but it's typically not carbon fiber. It's actually usually glass fibers. Glass, yeah. It gives it a lot of strength and rigidity, but glass is problematic. It's so abrasive. Yeah, and the carbon's actually abrasive too. Mm -hmm. So if you're out there listening and you have a hobby-level printer with some maybe added capability, you usually have to go to some hardened materials. I've seen ruby is ruby. common. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are good ways to start printing in these materials. I, I love them, uh, but... Yeah, like Tyler said, they're mostly nylon-based, but we are starting to see some ABS with uh, the added carbon and... Polycarbonate as well. PC? Yeah. Okay. From, you know, we're talking about different vendors at this point. Yeah, of course. So they're out there, and they're all good. They all have their applications, and I think that being said, we should probably talk about the strengths and weaknesses. Okay. Um, so what would be the weakness of, say, continuous fiber? <laughs> We're going to start with weaknesses? Okay. I, I think so. And then All we right. can end on a high note. As, as I understand it. So and, and this, some of these weaknesses are going to be universal. So the first one would be universal. And that is these composite parts take an inherently anisotropic process and make it more extreme, meaning the mechanical properties of these materials. Uh, so the strength, the... The directional strength. Well, just mechanical properties in general. Like, so strength, rigidity, uh, toughness, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. In conventional manufacturing, in the conventional manufacturing world, we expect materials to be isotropic. So you have one set of strength properties or mechanical properties per part. But in 3D printing, because of the additive nature and the layering, you tend to think of material properties as being directional. So in the XY plane and up through Z. And particularly with FDM or FFF, filament-based stuff, they're anisotropic. You have less adhesion across uh, layers than you do within a layer. So if you look at something like the tensile strength, it'll be greater in X and Y than it is in Z. And the addition to of the carbon fibers only exacerbates that gap. It's more anisotropic, which in one sense, it's good because you're getting superior strength in X and Y, but it makes it much more difficult to design around that because it's going to be harder to simulate. It's going to, the orient the orientation, which is way down the road in terms of the workflow, becomes super critical to the design of the part. So it messes up the workflow a bit. It's inherently more difficult to design around anisotropy. So I would consider that a weakness, but that's universal. That's universal. So the question was on continuous fibers, you, they take up space. And so... You have anisotropic material properties, but then you also have areas of a part that can fit continuous fibers and areas of the part that cannot fit continuous fibers. And so you're gonna get even 
more discrepancy in mechanical properties throughout your part. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to, well, I'm trying to be, <laughs> I'm trying to put myself in the listener's seat a little bit. Okay. And I hope the description on the continuous fiber makes sense. I think. Do you want to, well. Should one of us try to explain it more clearly? It would be you for okay. sure. But I, so I, think I mean, that, just give us an example. Give, okay. us exa give us an example of a part that maybe everybody's familiar with and how it would be strong in one direction and, and not in the other. And, and then everyone can kind of fill in the gaps on why that would be difficult to design around. Uh, okay. Well, first I'm going to describe the process. So I think everyone is familiar with filament-based printing and how you have an extruder head, it heats up the plastic, it follows a path, and you're just laying down plastic in that path. Instead of filament, you're laying down a continuous fiber. Okay, so it's just taking place of that. And the fiber, imagine grabbing a rope with two hands and you in front of your face and you pull it so that you're pulling away from each other. You're trying to create tension in the rope. You can pull as hard as you want and the rope is going to resist that, right? Mm -hmm. It's really strong in tension. But if you take your two hands that are holding the rope in front of your face, one end of the rope in each hand, and you try to move your hands together, the rope is just going to sag between your hands. It has very little compressive strength, okay? So start to embed those ropes in your model. Think of it that way. Also think of if I have the rope in front of my face and I'm holding it, I'm holding it taut. I'm pulling it in tension. It's mm -hmm. tight. It's strong. If you try to, if someone now tries to push down on that, the center of that rope, you're not going to get very much strength, right? It will resist it a little bit, but it's not very strong in, in the um, orthogonal direction. That would apply to your part as well. So you're taking a situation where you have anisotropy in your part and you're exacerbating it because you are only getting strength characteristics in X and Y, but then also you're only getting the strength characteristics typically in tension, which happens to do with the direction of those filaments in your part. Like the direction of the rasters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And now hopefully you have enough bulk in your part where you can layer them and change the directionality layer by layer by layer so that you're stacking them in a way that you're going to get strength. But if you're dealing with thin parts, then that's going to be an issue. Does that make sense? Yep. That makes I hope. I, to me, that was a good visual. But you could also see me moving my hands. Yeah, that's true. But air. I think the description was pretty good. I was, I was, I, I had hoped maybe you'd touch a little more on the Z layer adhesion. Okay. Basically there's no bridging other than the adhesion of the polymer yeah. that is added to this, there's no bridging from Z layer to Z layer. It, it, that Z layer adhesion is the same as it would be with just the base material alone. There's no connection of carbon that's going between those. And that more or less applies to chopped filament as well. Yes. I've heard people say that with the chopped fiber during the melting process that the nano nanofibers or whatever you want to call them do kind of end up crossing over yeah. into the, the base layer and you get a little more Z adhesion that way. Yeah, I mean, and you could just look at the spec sheets provided by any company that's providing the material 
and you can see that you are going to get a little bit of crossover through the layers, but uh, for the most part, you can count on the mechanical properties of the base material, so nylon, polycarbonate, ABS, in the Z direction, and then the strength in X and Y. Now, the difference between the chopped carbon fiber and the continuous fiber is that the chopped carbon fiber is going to end up anywhere where the material is. So it doesn't matter how small your feature is, you're still going to see the benefit. And I would suspect you have, you have a continuous fiber like Mark Forge, which is essentially a fiber. It's very small. So you don't need a whole lot of room around the part. Um, but with something like a tape, I would expect you would need a little bit more breathing room for that tape to fill in. But the tape would be on its own would be much stronger than just a single filament too. So do you think, um, well, hopefully we've explained that well enough. Like let's yeah. talk base materials now because there's a few out there. I've seen <clears throat> nylon six base materials. Can I just make one more point? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so if you're if you're kind of comparing and contrasting the 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 utility of each of those, I would say if you had a very specific part design that happened to work well with a continuous fiber or a uh, automated tape uh, placement type technology, then absolutely it would be an awesome fit. But if you just are more broadly interested in uh, overall mechanical performance, then something like a chopped fiber infused filament would be uh, have a lot more utility. And would you say that one has more utility most of the time than the other? Yeah, the chopped fiber. <laughs> because <laughs> it's just, you. it is more predictable in its behavior and you're going to have essentially the same benefits no matter what the part geometry is, as opposed to, in some cases, you bring across a part and you can't put any filament in there. It's too thin. And so you're not getting any benefit there. Okay. That that to me is enough reason. I, I hope at this point already we're going to get into more reasons, but why this is not just like a gimmicky material. Because you actually are increasing strength. Yeah. And now we're kind of starting to understand the why behind adding carbon. There are different methods, but I think one... This is totally my opinion, and it seems like yours too. The chopped carbon fiber is probably the route to go. If it's, I had to land on one, then that's what I would choose. It's just not that often when you're 3D printing a model that you only need strength in one direction. Right. And I think the aim of, of this material is, or at least as advertised by many manufacturers, is to replace aluminum components, Right. Um, which we know they are um, strong in all directions. Well, the, that talking point really comes from a discussion around the stiffness and also the stiffness to weight ratio. It gets you in the realm of aluminum, which once you see, once you see that on a data sheet, then you start to think, oh, well, I could pitch this as an aluminum substitute. Right. And you know, most people just design for aluminum because it's what they have or it's what they've always done. Yeah. It's easy, so, to, it's easy to machine. It's relatively cheap. Yeah. So what I mean by that is it's not, we're not trying to absolutely say that this is exactly the same as aluminum. It's a direct replacement. Oh yeah, but for sure not. for certain parts and applications, if you really look at, at the nuts and bolts of why that part does what it does, you might find that the strength requirements don't necessarily have to have aluminum. We could replace oh, those yeah. aluminum parts with these, these carbon 
added well, polymers. How many people do you think really run through a legitimate simulation, like a mechanical simulation, static simulation, make it easy on their parts that they're creating out of aluminum, say? Five or ten percent, maybe low, low percentage, right? Yeah. So, in all reality, most people have no idea the requirements of their part, and they overbuild because that's the easiest path forward. Yeah, overengineer. I'm pulling up data sheets right now. I want to have oh, this. Yeah? yeah, I want to have some this real time in. fact checking. I like it. Uh huh. I just want to make sure that I give everyone some semblance of what this is. So, you go ahead and continue talking. I, I, I'm okay. pulling up into the area where I need to be. Right. And what I'm doing is comparing our base FDM nylon 12 with our base FDM nylon 12 CF. Okay. Sounds and I'm just good. trying to get some some comparative numbers so that you can see that or, right. or hear it, I guess. While you're doing that, I'll talk a little bit about <laughs> replacing aluminum components with 3D printed components. You know, there are obviously tons of benefits that aluminum provides that you may take for granted such as uh, heat resistance, conductivity, thermal transfer. <laughs> like there are a whole arsenal of mechanical properties that of course our printed plastics are not going to uh, be able to hold a straw against aluminum. But in terms of if, if you're just after stiffness or if you're after a certain strength in you know, XY plane, then yeah, perhaps you can. But in many cases, people are using aluminum. They're choosing aluminum simply because it's what the machine shop is comfortable with. You know that if you just put 6061 T6 on the drawing sheet, it's not going to be hard to find the material. It's going to be relatively cheap. Machining costs are going to be low. And it's probably massively overbuilt for the purpose. So we find a lot of success in replacing aluminum components with printed components for jigs and fixtures and tooling and shop floor tools. And in general, there, there are some things that we can take advantage of, like weight savings. Uh, we can improve the ergonomics of tools. And of course, you get all the other benefits of printing, like customization and things like that. Was that a good time killer? That was I, perfect. Okay. All right. So the one number I just want to highlight, these data sheets are available online. So anybody who's interested in nylon 12 CF, for example... You can Google that. Um, you can find the comparisons between like a Stratasys material. Uh, there are some other, there are other ones out there. Um, but I just want to talk about two actually, elongation at yield percentage okay, and strength at break. So on a standard nylon 12, your elong elongation at yield is 6.1%. Um, that's in the XZ orientation. And the ZX orientation, you're 5.8%, so just slightly lower. Okay. Translate that over to the CF added material, same base material, elongation at yield as a percentage says no yield. So there's no yield uh, in either orientation on the Nylon 12 CF. The Nylon 12 CF strength at break in PSI is uh, 12,100. Um, in the XZ orientation, that's pretty high. As a contrast, in the ZX orientation, it's 4750 PSI. So significantly lower. Um, in fact, here's an interesting thing. In the ZX orientation, without the CF, you have 58 
90 um, as a PSI. So it's actually slightly higher. I'm not sure if I'm reading that correctly. Are you familiar with that? As soon as you started uh, saying numbers, I kind of... You tuned out? <laughs> I didn't tune started out. Started reading his text messages. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Um, I just, I lost track. <clears throat> so what you're saying is that you you found that um, not only uh, you, you were just wrong. I think I'm wrong. <laughs> I have to be. 47.50 in the ZX orientation in PSI. So it shows that it... Which, were ma- like, which material is that? That's the CF? That's the CF. Okay. So it's saying the ZX orientation actually has slightly less capability. You, you take a hit. You do take a hit, but in the XZ, you're getting you're gaining a ton. You're three times that. Yeah. So this is interesting information. If you guys if you guys want to look at the full data sheet, you can call me out on any mistakes that I've said here. Um, but it's they're available. Just Google it. It's super simple. Uh, Stratasys FDM nylon twelve and nylon twelve CF. But you could also look up any other brand as well. And you will see some variants from brand to brand. Uh, there are people who add a higher percentage of carbon fiber, and some will list it as 10%, kind of like with the glass-filled materials. Yeah. So I think the next thing I, I want to point out is that why, maybe answer the questions why these ABS carbon fiber materials are starting to come out. Well, do you know why that would be? I have my suspicions. It's the same reason why we don't only print in ABS or we don't only print in nylon, and that is the base material <laughs> plays a huge role in this equation, right? Because by weight, that base material is 60 to 70% of your end part, and that's where the mechanical properties are coming from. And not just mechanical properties, but also um, other properties, the material properties. So if all you have is nylon, then you're going to have some of the baggage that nylon carries with it. Nylon is more difficult to print, so it complicates the process. It has some issues with moisture sensitivity, uh, particularly during the printing process, but also afterwards. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah, I would say. I think that's why people like to move away from nylons. But also nylon is inherently has uh, less stiffness, you know? The flexural modulus is different than ABS. So if, if you're after a highly rigid part, then start out with a more rigid material. Yeah, that helps. And as far as, do you, would you have a preference? What would be your everyday use case? I mean, we have so many customers that just use ABS. Yeah. Do you feel like this would be a good transition for them if they're using this for tooling applications or? In, in some cases, yeah. Uh, it goes back to the discussion, you know, if you have a good idea of the requirements of a part, then you can more accurately answer that question. Meaning, is it strong enough? Is it going to do the job? Uh, so you'd want to, you'd want to weigh the, the upside and the downside of using the, the carbon fiber fill. So on the upside, you're going to obviously get a hit, uh, you know, a bonus with the mechanical properties, but on the downside, you know, I would anticipate that the cost of that material will be higher. I would anticipate that the wear and tear on your machine would be higher. So your cost of operating would be higher. So you'd be weighing that against the benefits. Um, That material is going to be a lot more abrasive. So if you were using it for tooling on the shop floor, um, do you want an abrasive tool? Um, In many cases, cases you wouldn't. 
that's all abrasive is a relative term too because I've I've read some articles that talk about uh, nylon based uh, carbon fiber material as lubricious because really yeah depending on what they're using it for obviously they're they're probably not using it for like a slider of yeah. some sort but. Yeah, I would say and that's relative because depending on what they were using before. What's the source of that lubricity? The nylon. But nylon, nylon by itself isn't isn't abrasive. Right. But nylon by itself is not really lubricious either. Yeah. Maybe maybe I used the wrong word. You calling me out? I don't know. I'm trying to understand what you're saying. I'm talking about sliding a rock across a table versus a, a nice little skid pad of, of nylon. Okay. What's going to slide easier? Well, what's the table made of? <laughs> uh, what's this? Formica? <laughs> I think this, uh, I don't know. This is like a plastic veneer. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's, it's a plastic of Covering some sort. a nice MDF yeah. folding table. So you, you have like standard nylon, <laughs> which, you know, I don't think is the, the coefficient of friction on that. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I don't think it's much different than something like ABS. But you might have a blend of nylon that has an additive for lubricity, like a mineral oil type additive or something like that. Which we know of one of those. <laughs> yeah, we do materials. know one of those. That wasn't my point. I don't okay. want to talk about that material. <laughs> nylon itself is not abrasive, but if you put carbon fiber in it, then the carbon fiber is abrasive. Right. Now, if you were to tumble that very smooth, then maybe you wouldn't have that same. I'm pretty sure you would. Yeah, probably. Like it would, if you were rubbing it against, you, you set up like an Ikea style mattress tester type thing or whatever, and you have two material samples rubbing <laughs> up against each other. One is nylon and one's carbon filled nylon. You run those for the rest of eternity and the nylon alone side is going to get eaten away. Yeah, absolutely. They'll both, they'll both become completely smooth, I would say, but then the one would start to erode the other. Yeah. Yeah. So Which, what types of applications are these materials good for? Probably not. Don't just get it to get it. Yeah. Right. You've got to have a reason. I agree with that. So in situations where you do need superior mechanical properties, but you want to retain the simplicity of a water-soluble support material would be one. Um, if, in theory, you had a material available that was both uh, had water-soluble support and carbon fiber, which we do, the nylon 12 and then the nylon 12 CF, those use water-soluble supports. Yep. Um, but we have materials that are stronger than nylon 12 CF, but they have breakaway supports. So they're more difficult to use. The process is more difficult. So added strength while not adding a lot of process difficulty would be one scenario. Um, Just to satisfy the curiosity of our listeners, what are those materials that you said could outperform? Well, in our portfolio, because this is going to be different, uh, depending on what materials you have available to you. You don't have um, to list them all. I mean, just give us one. Ultim. Ultim 1010. Yeah. All ultim, the ultims. Any PEC-based material. Cool. Yeah. Uh, these carbon fiber uh, pieces tend to be conductive. So... Slightly on, conductive? Yeah. 
So conductivity is a scale for <laughs> yeah. sure. You can be conductive, but not be considered conductive, if that makes sense. Conductivity, if it would be like electrostatic dissipative on the low end of conductivity to fully conductive on the high end of conductivity. If you introduce carbon fiber, chop carbon fiber to a part, you're going to increase the conductivity to the point where it could potentially be considered electrostatic dissipative. Which we have. We do have our, our ABS ESD7 yeah. is actually carbon nanotubes. Is it? Mm-hmm. That's what helps make it ESD. Mm. Mm. However, our nylon 12CF is more conductive. And it's more squarely placed in that electrostatic dissipative range. And we have customers that use it for that application, which I guess is kind of like a side benefit. It could be it the, could be the whole main benefit. benefit. Yeah, you know, I've seen it used in equipment that is cutting thin sheets of plastic that will want to tend to stick to machinery and things like that. So if you have a shroud or a blade or whatever, and it's made of an electrostatic dissipative, then it doesn't build up that static and it, you don't have the process challenges of, you know, dust and little clippings wanting to stick to it. Yeah. I, that's not a realm that I've had the opportunity much to go into the ESD realm, but in terms of like tooling and fixturing, I can think of so many oh, for sure. applications just in like personal, personal use scenarios. I think it's a great material. Um, I'm talking the nylon yeah. 12. The, my, the only reason I would ever shy away from it, um, in a tooling application is if it's being, if it's getting wet, um, if it's somewhere around water for long periods of time. Like I told you before, uh, the Mark Forged material, which is the same base material, uh, we didn't have any issues machining one part. Had we machined 100, maybe we would have started seeing some swelling. Yeah. And some, we would have maybe had some machining inaccuracies or or finish issues but for that one it was perfect and oftentimes a fixture if you're in a job shop or something it's a one and done situation or maybe two and that's it yeah so this would be perfect for that yeah i think so that's that's a topic i haven't seen a lot of people talking about and that is kind of coolant versus prints what's what's the effect of the coolant on 3d prints Different types of coolant yeah. are going to be. That's going to have, have different a, chemistries of coolant. For sure. But that's the nice thing is it's so cheap. It's easy to try. Oh. Yeah. Um, you're not going to have. If you get bad finishes on your very first part, don't use it. You know, if, if it's if it swelled or if it vibrates. Yeah. Then it's probably not the right application for that particular or the, the right material for that application. Speaking of finish, off the printer, these carbon fiber parts tend to have worse surface quality coming off the printer. That's a good point. Yeah, and it's high, they don't look as pretty. Yeah. However, they finish more like an aluminum part. Like you could, you'd mentioned before, you could throw it in a tumbler. Put it in a tumbler, and it'll come out looking like an injection molded part. I wouldn't go that far. Mm. I've heard you say that before. I don't. <laughs> it's not that nice. It's nice. Certain services. <laughs> it it looks pretty good. It I think tumbled nylon 12 CF is probably one of the coolest looking materials we've got. Has a nice sheen to it. Nice yeah. satin sheen. 
Now in the nooks and crannies, you're still going to see evidence of layering, but on certain surfaces that would have previously clearly been printed, it masks it. Right. Uh, another thing is you can still add heat set inserts to it. Oh, good point. Um, so that's another differentiator versus like a pure carbon fiber part that would have to be um, riv nut would probably be the way to go or yeah, adding some hardware, sort of epoxied. Adding hardware to real carbon fiber parts is a big pain. Yeah. So maybe a good way to wrap this up is to actually talk about traditional carbon fiber. This is kind of getting off on another topic, but kind of the same topic. So, and heck, maybe this is like a good uh, outro for a future episode, but how can we use additive with traditional carbon fiber? So say I don't want to use an actual nylon or a carbon fiber polymer. Yeah. But I still can utilize 3D printing with traditional carbon fiber. How how can I do that? Yeah, so... Depending on the application, you may need a very thin-bodied part that is strong. And, uh, okay, you're going to be looking at carbon fiber. Um, I think in the past we've talked about viewing the 3D printers as a tool, right? And I like to call them shape creators. And it's up to us what we decide to use those shapes for. So oftentimes we're using those shapes to complement more conventional ways of manufacturing. We were just talking about that on the CNC machine you could use 3D printing as a, you know, sacrificial uh, vice jaw, something like that, tooling, fixturing. In the same way, you can use it as a pattern or a mold for carbon fiber. So you're taking what could be considered the most difficult part of that job, and that's creating the pattern to lay the carbon fiber on or around or in, and you're using printing to create that shape, smoothing that print, maybe through tumbling or sanding, whatever, uh, coating it with some sort of uh, layer that's going to prevent the carbon fiber from infiltrating the print. So depending on the longevity of the tool, you might just coat the hell out of it with... And you're going to have to, yeah, regardless, because the resin will interlock. Yeah, so, but there's different ways. You could take a spray and just wet it down. Mm-hmm. And that's probably going to work for one pool. Or you could take the time, coat it with an epoxy and smooth the epoxy, and that's going to be a more hardened tool that will last several pulls. So it depends on what the tool life expectancy is. And uh, lay your carbon fiber on it. So depending on the material that you're using for your print, you could potentially be doing what's called a wet layup. So you're taking the two components of the carbon fiber separately. You have the weave and you have the resin. You're Mixing the resin, typically two-part resin, mix it up, and you start to paint it onto your weave, and maybe you vacuum bag it or you compress it in some way and you let it harden. That would be if you needed a low temperature. We've done that before. We have done it, and it's really messy. It's a lot of fun. It's difficult. What did we make? Um, we made all sorts of things. What, we the made boats. some the boats. <laughs> yeah, we actually got all the sales guys <laughs> to make those boats, huh? They were the that they were some sorry looking boats. I hate to say. I I mean, wet layup is actually hard. Yeah, it it really is hard. Um, you're not making those beautiful bicycle frames with a wet layup. Just the fibers want to move on you. They want to separate. They don't want to fold. It's a mess. 
So you're talking like at the opposite would be, what do they call it? A resin impregnated? Yeah, it's called prepreg. Prepreg? Yeah, prepreg. Pre-impregnated with resin. So that would be like a pre-starched shirt that <laughs> if you heat that shirt up, it starts to soften so that you can conform it to shape. And then you start to heat it again and it will then start to harden, like cure. So can do we have materials that work well with a situation like that rather than a yeah. wet layup? Yeah, we do. Like the Ultim, high, you know, high heat materials. Um, the idea being that you would take the prepreg fabric, which is like a stiff fabric, lay it down on your part. The benefit here is like you can cut precisely the, your pat, your shape in your fabric, and you can fold it, and you can more precisely and accurately place your weaves. And then you would potentially vacuum bag it or place it in an autoclave, heat it up, and that initiates the heat is the catalyst for the curing of the resin. So you need the high heat capabilities. Your part has to be able to withstand the heat and pressure of something like an autoclave. So we're talking about typically 300F or higher. So what we're saying with this entire episode is that carbon fiber has its place and additive is a solution in multiple ways. Yeah. And this is like commercial, this is kind of commercially available discussion. There are some really cool things I've become aware of over the years of like researchers using sound waves. What? To orient carbon fiber strands and then hit them with a light and cure them so that you're actually orienting strands layer by layer by layer and then building it up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there. I'm going to think of the name and maybe I'll, I'll mention it in a future carbon fiber episode, but there is a YouTube channel that goes over carbon fiber, fiber layup. Uh -huh. You've probably seen some of yeah, their stuff. I've watched I, their I think stuff. it's a British guy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of shout out to the UK, we got a few <laughs> listeners there too. Shout but, out to the whole UK. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a British guy, uh, making just layup tools and he goes over all kinds of tools. Yeah. And I think that'll really get your brain going for how to utilize additive in those types of situations, whether it's a sacrificial layup tool um, for like a part that would normally be, it would be a trapped tool. Yep. And we have some webinars too on YouTube. Oh, we do? Yeah. Look it up. What's our YouTube channel? We <laughs> don't actually have a go additive YouTube yeah, channel. It's just, just go, go engineer. To, yep. Go engineer. And, uh, yeah, I can't remember the name. It's like Composites 201, Composites Revisited, I think. Um, yeah, lots of cool stuff. That rounds out our discussion about going to YouTube for some basic education. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week might be a little different. There is a possibility it will be different. Um, so one of two things is going to happen. I am either going to remote in. I'm going fishing you for a week. Going fishing. And it's actually a competition. I qualified into this thing, and so now I've got to go fish Where for, is it? for a week. Um, it's at Lake Havasu. Oh, cool. And a uh, little early for the parties. Too bad. But uh, <laughs> no. I, I'm excited to go there. I'm excited to compete. So for the first few days, they call it pre-fishing or pre-practice, yeah. and you just kind of go and get a lay of the land, uh, the it's water. pre-practice? Some people call it pre-practice. I do not. <laughs> I do not. I just call it pre-fishing, but that's essentially what it is. Like yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what the water levels are like, temperatures, 
you're doing an overall reconnaissance, I guess, of the lake and you might catch a couple fish in the process. I think that's, it's yeah. stupid to catch your own fish in practice. Um, yeah. but that, that's a totally different discussion. Point being, I may be on the water uh, I may when be I call solo. in next week or you may be all alone. Yeah. And we probably won't know until it comes time. So I'm going to have yeah. to prepare an hour long, uh, <laughs> soliloquy. A monologue. Yeah. <laughs> and I already thought of the name of that episode. If I do end up doing it alone, it's going to be episode 10. Oh crap. It's episode 10. That's, that's a pivotal. I have, I have a pivotal to be there. Episode. Um, I'm just kidding. If it is solo, it'll be the episode you can probably skip. No, no way. <laughs> yeah. So expect some, hopefully something exciting, whether it's Tyler awkwardly stumbling through one of these alone, delivering a, sol- it was, a soliloquy. It would just end up, uh, a no, long I, rant. No, probably. I think it would be great. Uh, either way, we'll deliver something to you next week. We just want to make sure that uh, we don't skip out on you guys, and we'll keep trying to give you the content you like. Uh, do us a favor. Message in. Um, shoot us an email. Our emails are still in the description. Eventually, we're going to pull those off, I imagine. Um, the hate mail for the intro music. You know, we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens. But uh, Consider subscribing. <laughs> Yeah. Please consider subscribing. <laughs> that was my goal, man. That's you just ruined get, my goal was to never ask for never ask for a, a sub. I'm politely asking the Canadians to subscribe. <laughs> Thanks, Canada. You guys are in second place. Behind uh, America. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Please don't stop listening, Canada. We love you. And uh yeah. Tune in next week. Yeah. Happy printing. See you later. <laughs>